Hello, welcome to the 17th episode of Cycles Podcast. Today we have a good friend, Nick Steinmates. Uh, Nick is currently the VP of Business Development and co-chair at, Ken, at Kentic. Uh, he has a lifelong passion for technology, both as a user and a developer, and has been primarily focusing on automation and finding unique ways uh, to integrate products and businesses. Nick, it's great to have you on the show today. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. First, before we even dive into Kentik, let's let's talk about who you are. Uh, you know your your history. Um, for those who you might not be familiar with who you are, uh, I know you worked at Docker. I know you worked at Rancher. Let's let's just dive into some of that. So yeah, I um, you know I started uh, my my journey with technology very young. I uh, was like part of the generation that you know had a computer in their room. Uh, from the earliest ages, uh, but this was uh, in the era of America Online or AOL. And at that time, you know, we didn't know it, uh, but the little hacker community that we were part of, you know, was participating in, you know, open source at the truest sense. You know, sharing uh, code, uh, trying to figure out how to write uh, proggies, as we called them then. Uh, you know, little add-ons for AOL, uh, and I did that from, you know the age of nine to probably the age of 13 or so. Uh, official career-wise, I started in QA um, with a focus on automation. And quickly from there, uh, I was responsible for, uh, you know, the entire pipeline of development from, you know, ideation and product management all the way out to delivery uh, at one of the first mobile companies uh, out there. And uh, it's through that that I found, uh, you know, Docker and and uh, kind of the rest. So that was, you know, that w- that was a good foundation uh, to get me prepared for, you know, the f- the fun times for sure. And so with with Docker, um, you were one of the uh, one of the earlier employees, right? Yeah, employee number six or or so back when the company was called uh, Dot Cloud. Got it, and. And Dot Cloud was uh, so. Uh, if if uh, so, for those who might not be familiar with the Dot Cloud history before Dot Cloud became Docker, because uh, I know that there was a, a a bit of a pivot in strategy. Like like from 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 what I know about Docker, uh, Docker was almost kind of a internal tool that they were using to solve some problems, and then that ended up becoming the main product. Is that correct? Yeah, it's kind of like that. So you know. Uh... Dot Cloud was born in an era where, you know, there was Heroku, you know, uh, it still exists today, but Heroku was kind of in its prime. Um, and the the limiting factor of Heroku was that, you know, it was like for Ruby applications only. And, and Dot Cloud was born as a multi-polyglot, you know, platform where you could run anything. Um and yeah, containers were a fundamental way that we delivered uh, the service. Um, and Docker was born out of all of the learnings that you know that that were generated as a result of operating the dot cloud uh, platform as a service. And so, as you were going through the dot cloud uh, days before it, before it became Docker, what was the what was kind of the, the turning point when you all realized like, hey, what we're building with dot cloud, this this container technology is actually vastly more valuable. Yeah. So dot clouds long preceded me. That 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 decision um, you know, was let's say 
uh, made maybe a month or so before my official arrival. Um, you know, Docker was first, uh, you know, talked about at a lightning talk at a PyCon in March of 2013. Um, and I had read uh, someone's blog post, a guy named uh, Nicola Palucci from Atlassian, uh, probably in the April or May timeframe. Um you know, that was talking about how containers were going to revolutionize, you know, the industry, basically. And I was like, oh, what's this? And so I kind of uh, I, I dived in uh, from that point and joined the company in June of that year. And I think we, you know, officially became Docker, the company in December of that year or, or, or something like that. And so, yeah, um, uh, it was right at that transition period that, you know, I and uh, Ben Golub, who was the CEO of Docker for the first uh, four years or so, um, you know, uh, I, we, we joined and kind of, you know, helped help the company make that transition. And I guess uh, while we're on that topic, uh, I don't think we meant we went over it yet, but what was your position within uh, within uh, Docker or slash do, <laughs> cloud slash Docker? Yeah, it was it was fun because originally I didn't. You know, I was I was an employee, but my job title was like deployment engineer or something like that. Like it was nondescript with without really an understanding of, you know, what what was going to happen. Um, but on my first day, I went and met with, you know, um, a company called Nitrous.io who was doing IDEs in the cloud. And, you know, they were thinking about container technology to power that um, and, uh, you know, a, f a few others. And so it seemed natural that I would continue on with the partnership conversations. And ultimately, I ended up running basically the the ecosystem of partners of uh you know, contributors of integrators uh, and the strategic partnerships for the company. Got it. And so as you know, you, you had your time at Docker. Um, how, how, how long were you actually at Docker? Uh, just under four years. Got it. And so, so post Docker, uh, uh, is that when you ended up joining Rancher or what, what was, what's the timeline look like? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when, Pre-launch, the Rancher team came and uh, to the Docker offices, and we were talking, uh, you know, about about their plans for the company. And um, you know, it was kind of like love at first sight uh, for me with them. Like I, I was really fascinated by what they were trying to solve, um, and you know, tried to acquire their company uh, while I was at Docker multiple times. Uh, didn't work out for various reasons. And, you know, towards the end, I was sitting at um, the last DockerCon that I attended in Texas. Uh, and uh, there was a new CEO coming in. And I was thinking to myself, here, here we are, you know, almost 400 employees generating X amount of revenue a year. And, you know, there's my uh, pet favorite company, Rancher, over there that, you know, has significantly less um, and they're ge generating significant uh, revenue, like, you know, per per employee, they were, you know, crushing us, basically. Um, and so I was wondering, like, you know, it hit me, you know, they must be doing something fundamentally different, because here you are at, at Docker, we have all of the opportunity in the world. Uh, we have a product that's, you know, good enough uh, for people to, to buy. And, uh, you know, but, uh, you know, how is it that they're, that they're, 
what is it that they're doing so differently? Um, and so I wanted to find that out for myself. So that's why I joined Rancher. And at Rancher, was your position similar to Docker where you were in charge of partnerships and things? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And uh, yeah, partnerships have have been the thing that I've worked on uh, for the past, I don't know, what, uh, 10 years or so. And, uh, you know, it's probably time to, to get to, to make a change. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Uh, <laughs> 2023, new year. Uh, so yeah, fun times ahead, I think. And what was that like uh, going from, you know, as you just alluded to with, you know, kind of the, the revenue per employee metric and, and rancher generating uh, more revenue. Um, what was that like in terms of your role going from Docker, where you had this massive community adoption, everyone knew Docker to rancher yeah. where obviously, I mean, Obviously, Rancher was a you know uh, a well known player in the space and is still a well known company in the the space, even though it's since been acquired. Um, but I mean, you, you you were kind of in two companies that had very different approaches. What did that look like? Yeah, yeah, and that that was like by design. Um, so <laughs> so uh, what I what I love about Rancher and I think what is very successful about Rancher and why they had such an, an amazing exit, right? Um, was their focus on teams that had a problem that needed to solve that problem today. Um, not tomorrow, not five years from now, not a journey of, you know, uh, completely greenfield deployment, but like I have a problem and I need to solve it today. And the other thing that they've done and, and they're doing with their, you know, current venture, you know, same team is, you know, set up weekly trainings uh, to, you know, get people on the on-ramp to, you know, what are containers, what is Kubernetes, uh, you know, how do you use it? And it's very, um, you know, it's it's was clearly Rancher branded, but it was not about Rancher, you know, like one in four episodes were featuring some Rancher technology or like some you know, roadmap update or something like that. But really it was, you know, about teaching people, about bringing them uh, along, about, you know, bringing them into the tent. And I think those two efforts really set them apart from everyone else. They were that, and I guess they weren't tied to a particular infrastructure provider. They didn't have a unique point of view. They just said, here's Kubernetes and this is the best way to run it. Um, not, you know, here's a managed service that you have to run it our way uh, or, you know, it won't work sort of thing. So from a technology side, I think that that was a unique differentiator for them. Mm -hmm. And so as a founder, and I, I know that we have a lot of founders that, that watch or watch or listen to this podcast as a founder, one of the things that I always kind of noodle on um, within cycle as, as we grow the company is, you know, if you had to put a percentage of, you know, if you're, if you're maintaining a balance based off of um, your target customer that you're trying to go after, and if you were to say, hey, you know, if we had, you know, if a, if 100% includes both sales efforts and marketing efforts, where are we putting our weight, right? Uh, for example, right now with Cycle, we're aiming towards about a 70% emphasis on sales with a 30% emphasis on marketing things. Um Given that you, you know, we've had a number of technical guests on the show, and you're obviously you're, you're you're technical as well. But having, but given that you're also involved in partnerships and kind of the, the business sense, I'm I'm curious what your thoughts were. Again, I know that you're no longer with Docker. I know that you're no longer with Rancher. But at least 
back to the times when you were, when you were seeing them in the early days of their company, uh, if you had to break that down for those companies of like, okay, you know, we're X percentage focused on marketing versus uh, Y, you know, sorry, versus, you know, sales, et cetera. I'm curious kind of where you would place those two things as, uh, I think it's just kind of an interesting thought exercise for, again, the founders that are listening to this, that are going through their own problems and their own, like, where do I put my time? I'm just curious, uh, you know, what your thoughts would be on that. Yeah. So what's unique about, you know, Docker and Rancher versus, you know, where, where I've been uh, most recently at Kentic is that, you know, they're open source companies uh, from the outset, like their main product is open source. And open source by definition is product led. You have to have a great experience and people have got to know about it. They've got to adopt it in order for you to have a business relationship with them. Right. And so marketing, uh, however you want to you know, quantify what is your marketing effort uh, is is clearly very important, right? Because if people don't know about it, people aren't adopting about uh, aren't adopting it, and you can't sell anything to them. <laughs> if that makes sense, uh, and 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 you know, uh, if it's a SaaS company that doesn't have a freemium model or something like that, I think you know, there's there's there might be a different uh, a set of of circumstances uh, there, and so. You know, first it's like comes down to what kind of company do you have and and do you need to, you know, what sort of product market fit do you do you have? Um, I think the better the product market fit you have, uh, you know, the more emphasis that you put on uh, sales and, and execution around that. And le- the less product market fit you have, the more emphasis you need to put on building that that flywheel of innovation, right, of, of getting people to kick the tires, to provide feedback to, you know. Start start to tell other people, et cetera, et cetera. That makes sense. And you know, I guess along that same line, I, I wish I could re I wish I remembered uh I, I was sorry, I wish I could remember who the tweet was by. This was uh right around Christmas time, so uh, a few weeks ago. Um but um the tweet was something along the lines of as we get closer to an economic recession, we might already be in one, but as we get closer to an economic recession, product-led, uh, uh, product-led uh, growth or product-led marketing um, is just a stepping stone to enterprise sales. And uh, I, I wish I could remember who, who, who this was. It was some VC, uh, that was tweeting this out, but their whole, and then, you know, in the details, they went into it and it was all this whole premise of like, uh, in, in a market where you can re- easily raise money, um, and you can spend a lot of money in marketing and kind of just hoping people, you find enough volume that people, f- you know, fall through that path. But when fundraising gets a lot harder and you're, you're forced to grow a company through revenue, um, product-led growth, if you don't have already a lot of awareness and credibility, can actually, uh, is really for a lot of companies, will end up being a stepping stone to enterprise sales because they need to be able to generate, they can't put bets on long-term things. They need to start generating uh, generating deal flow today. Um, what What's your perspective on that? Yeah, I just think of myself as a technology buyer, right? Like um, when it comes to tools, um, you know, I like to be able to touch and, and understand, uh, you know, ahead of, ahead of buying. Um, and so, you know, the mantra of technologies adopted, uh, 
more these days that rather than sold is something that resonates with me uh, personally. But, you know, that's that's clearly biased, uh, you know, based on, you know, how I like to buy software, uh, how, you know, how technical I like to be, you know, how hands on I want to be, et cetera, et cetera. And so, um, you know, I, I think that also, you know, it depends on the scale of the problem that you have, um, you know, that that certainly influences uh, the answer to that question also. And so, you know, if it, it, it like like everything, you know, it, it it's hard to, to create a silver bullet answer to that from my perspective. It just really depends on the technology and the opportunity ahead of you. Yep. It makes 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 sense as well. Um, so uh, as, as, as we as we we kind of wrap up our discussion about Docker and Rancher, um, or your, rather your time at Docker and Rancher. Um, you know, I, I'm interested in hearing uh, about like what were the biggest challenges that you had to deal with during uh, the early days of building those companies? Yeah, so the first challenge that we had was, okay, so people are interested, right? It's clear that, you know, we can, one of the things that we did was we had weekly meetups at the at the Docker office every Thursday night. Um and there was people there. Uh, I met Darren Shepard uh, from Rancher there for the first time, uh, very early days. Uh, you know, he was talking about Stampede.io, which is an orchestrator for Docker, like really, you know. Anyway, um, it was clear that people were interested. It's clear that a hacker community was being built around it. People were building integrations. We, you know, created a list of, of uh, images that we would want to see on Docker Hub, uh, you know, one day and the next day the community had already created them. Like there was real traction. But the, the first challenge was, OK, how do we make how do we make this real enough uh, so that companies would actually buy it? You know, there's one thing of, you know, having adoption. There's another of, um, well, if I run this on a Red Hat machine, is Red Hat going to support it or is it going to treat it like a cancer? Right. And so, um, you know, our partnership with Red Hat and landing Docker as a part of RHEL 7, you know, created a lot of problems, but it also solved a lot of, uh, of problems for the business. Um, it allowed us to go out there and instantly we got credibility because Docker is now shipping with RHEL 7. So any questions about supportability or anything like that in the enterprise, you know, were 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 covered from that perspective. Um, but. You know that that's kind of one business challenge, but there were so so many. <laughs> yeah. You know, la later it was really how to carve out a niche uh, and actually build a business. And I think you know you you saw various waves of that um, occur uh, through a recapitalization of the company, and now Scott Johnson running running the company is just phenomenal. I mean, what what they've managed to do with Docker Desktop and and all of that is you know. Uh, really brought a resurgence of, of Docker, the technology back into the fold. Um, yeah. So really impressed. And I mean, it, with, with everything that you said, um, I, you know, I, I just keep trying to, or I just, as, as you're talking and I'm listening, I, I'm just correlating that to some of the, the or not, maybe not correlating, but just kind of reflecting on, you know, the own experiences that I've had along the way um, of, of, in case, sorry, in my case, building cycle. And it was really interesting because I think that when we first started to build cycle um, years and years ago, uh, you know, we, we were seeing how Docker was growing. And of course, you know, 
I didn't have the network that I do today. I didn't know, you know, people like yourself who, you know, were involved in building these companies. But so kind of as an outsider, just watching them, it was really interesting because we started to try to follow a lot of the things that Docker and Rancher and such were, were doing in terms of how do we build adoption. But um, I think one of the, I think it was also one of the biggest mistakes we made because, you know, as, as you know, and as anyone or hopefully anyone listening to this podcast knows like Cycle's not an open source platform, right? So we were taking these open source initiatives that Docker and Rancher and et cetera were following and kind of, you know, going all in on community style efforts and then having a, a closed source, you know, platform that was, you know, let's say, you know, partially centralized and partially not. And so it was, it was, you know, it took us a couple of years to kind of get over that, to, to kind of take a step back and be like, well, why are we even doing these things? Like, it doesn't make sense. It, it's, 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 a, it's a different product. Um, and like when we first started the company, we were uh, selling to individual developers. And then as time kept going on, we realized like, wait, 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 like we're not open source. We're not really like individual developers, you know, like, I mean, yes, we love developers, but Cycle's, uh, Cycle's built to solve business problems. Why do we keep trying to build this kind of, you know, individual developer ecosystem like Docker and Rancher? And of course, I know that Docker and Rancher are selling to businesses nowadays too, but they did that through adoption, right? Through, yeah. through yep. overall adoption. And, but they did that because it was open source, et cetera, it was software they could install anywhere. Um, and so it was really interesting uh, as a cycle is growing through um, the, the journey that you're talking about, but from a, a different perspective and realizing um, that, I, I, I guess I guess what I'm really getting at is as a founder, I think sometimes uh, you, you get so kind of caught up in like, oh, wow, that company's having success doing it that way. I'm going to do it that way without actually taking a step back and looking at the intricacies and being like, well, actually, we're a different product. Like we might be solving some of the same issues, but we're a different product with a completely different audience. And I think it took me a number of years to become aware of that. But when I was finally able to like fully accept and become aware of it. That's when Cycle started achieving the growth that it is now. And so that's one of the things that was really kind of interesting is, again, as you're, as you're talking, I'm kind of correlating these things. And um, as an outsider, it's just uh, interesting yeah. to hear someone who was, you know, in, you know, help, helping it from, from the inside. Yeah. You know, I've, I've heard you talk in various forums about kind of the new focus that that Cycle is taking. And I think that, you know, bringing your own infrastructure, um, you know, is, is certainly a, a, a unique and great take um, because it helps, you know, I think one of the biggest problems with adopting Kubernetes, and maybe we'll talk about that separately, but, you know, you, you have a unique and keen insight that, you know, companies are trying to understand how or why Kubernetes is valuable to them. And, you know, along with that, you know, do I have to rebuild everything and rehire and retrain everyone? And so, you know, being able to bring what you have uh, and to be able to take advantage of Cycle, I think is, you know, something that you uniquely have going for you that I think is going to, you know, set set Cycle apart and, you know, help help uh, help the company succeed for sure. And it's a completely different motion than, you know, replace everything. There's a new way of doing things. Uh, you know, we need to train everyone to, to, to be able to do that. Uh, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, one, I appreciate that, but, but two, I mean, I, th I think that and I, and as, 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 
I know you've held a lot of positions in business slash partnership roles, but I also know that you, you know, actually you and I met because I think you saw a tweet or something about Cycle, and then we just started talking. Uh, you went through our old sign-up process and you invested me, you're like, this sucks. Like, like I don't like the sign-up process. And I was like, well, <laughs> let's chat. Let's figure out why yeah. it sucks. Yeah. And yeah, so, that, I- so you know, we, we, we went through that. So I guess my point was there that, you know, even though you've been in business and partnership roles, you're also still developer technical, you know, you have, you have, you know, that mentality and, you know, you know, kind of bridging what you were talking about with, with cycle and our approach and, and everything. I think at the end of the day, I think the one of the big things that you and I both have in common is we want to be able to get stuff online quickly and we don't want to have to be experts in all these different things to be able to do that. And that was the pure foundational premise of Cycle. Right? You, you shouldn't need to be a DevOps, a senior DevOps engineer to be able to get something online, right? Even if even if whatever that thing that you're getting online is of substance, right? Like it seems like right now on one side you have like, oh yeah, you want to get a simple blog online? You want to get you know, a simple WordPress online? You want to host a simple, I don't know, MySQL database? Sure, there's a whole bunch of tools to do that. On the other side, you want to host a a platform. And when I say platform, I'm talking about anything where, you know, there's an API to consume it. So you, you could be talking from something like Zillow to Coinbase to any of these big things. And, you know, but if you're going those that path, the, the fault has been like, okay, you know, adopt Kubernetes. But there's, you know, and this is something that I know you and I both agree on from, from previous discussions outside of this podcast, but there's that whole middle where it's like, hey, you know, there are companies out there that are building meaningful things that don't need, that need more power than the easy spectrum of that, but don't have the problems of the upper side of that spectrum that require the ongoing maintenance and things like that of some of these big tools. And, and I'm not saying that Kubernetes doesn't fit some companies because it absolutely does. Like there's some companies that absolutely need it, right? Yeah, but, yeah, but I think that, you know, along along those lines, I think less companies need Kubernetes than than they think that they do. <laughs> like, yeah. There's more companies that think that they need it where they actually don't. And and you know, this is kind of like the the thing that is said, but but usually taken in jest, it seems, uh, by uh, the Kubernetes com- community a lot, really, which is like, you know, Kubernetes is an implementation detail of the platform you decide to run on. It's not, you know, the the be all end all in and of itself, right? Um, and so whether you take an opinionated point of view of that platform or you take it raw, you know, you still have to build it. And so you still have to build expertise around it and you still have to adapt it to your organization. And so, you know, if you less think of it as, as a solution to your problems, but as a tool in, in sort of solving your problems. And I think people will, companies will start to understand that that's not a skill set. That's not a core skill set that they want to build. They want the 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 output of that uh, of the value of contain, containerization of the ba- the value of you know uh, platforms and 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 being able to, to to build those on top of of others. So yeah, well, and uh, again, along that exact same idea, um, we were recently our team went to uh, the the Gartner. I forget the initials. It was IO or IT something or other uh, in in Vegas uh, back in back in December, and it was really interesting because for the longest time with Cycle, um, we had this uh, approach of you know we, we were mainly selling the startups and small businesses, and we we're like oh you know these big companies they've already adopted Kubernetes like they they're probably 
even though it, they might have had to fight to get there, they're happy with it. And uh, but it was really interesting, you know, you know, again to the point that I think we're both, you know, really kind of diving into here is these companies they 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 wanted that result but even after years of deploying and managing kubernetes they still haven't been able to achieve that desired result right and i was talking to um to a one company i'll, I'll leave out company name uh but i was i was talking to their director of it strategy and uh, he says, you know, hey, what's what cycle? And I gave him the general gist. And but the thing that really resonated with him was when I said, hey, you know, Kubernetes might solve problems, you know, one to a thousand. And my belief is that most companies only have problems one to one hundred. But to you know, by adopting Kubernetes, now they have to support problems, you know, one hundred and one to a thousand, even if that's not part of what they actually need it for. Like they have to support the entire Kubernetes support approach, even if they're only using, let's say, ten percent of it. And it was really interesting to have these people, that I, and I didn't expect this, to have these people kind of take a step back and be like, you're right, like, it's, it's complete overkill for us. And so with with all of this conversation, where do you, where's, where's you know, with the context that, the context and, and experience you have in the industry, where do you see future container orchestration platforms, whether it's Kubernetes or an alternative like Cycle or something like that, where do you see those kind of going? Yeah. I, I think, well, one is it's going to be focused on solving the needs of the business as opposed to, you know, core technology. I think this, you know, happens time and time again when you start to innovate and, you know, it's a focus on new technology and how does it get applied. And then, you know, as adoption increases, it's really about how do we purpose build, how do we um, purpose build, how do we adopted this core technology to work for, you know, mainstream businesses. And I think that that's, you know, it, it going mainstream, less implementation details, uh, you know, being surfaced and more business value is, is, is going to be the key differentiation in, you know, any of these uh, uh, products platforms um, that are coming out, including cycle. And I, I think again, you know, the, 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 the focus on, understanding that people don't want to reinvent the world on uh, people, you know, don't want to go on this building a platform, a fundamental platform, but instead use someone else's platform to build their, you know, business logic on, I think is, 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 is a, you know, a unique take that, that should pay dividends. And along that same line, what is your, what are your thoughts on uh, infrastructure as code? Is that yeah. something that you've worked with much? <laughs> I mean, what a what a journey infrastructure as code the the you know the phrase has 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 gone on right, um, and now we're seeing it permeate beyond just you know creating uh, you know server infrastructure or platform infrastructure. Now it's getting into you know how does infrastructure as code impact things like network gear? Um, you know that dovetails a little bit into you know what we're working on over at at Kentic kind of. Um, you know, how, do, how does the, the rest of the data center modernize? And um, so, yeah, I, I, I think it's, it's kind of, the meaning continues to evolve uh, and, uh, you know, it gets more and more uh, broad as time goes on. Well, 
you brought it up. Let's dive in. So, uh, you know, what, what, what you're doing today with, with Kentic, uh, what's the company do? What problems are you trying to solve? And I guess you know, we'll ask the same question I asked with Docker and Rancher. What is your position in the company? Yeah. So I run uh, partnerships and uh, what's, what's called labs at Kentic today. Um, the company is eight years old. It, you know, runs pretty lean. It's about 200 people. And I started there the week before the world shut down for, for COVID. Um, and so it was like, you know, March something. Uh, and, uh, and so anyway, um, what the company does is it, 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 it helps you answer the question, any question that you have about your network. Um, and so the typical buyer of Kentic is someone who is a large transit provider, a large ISP um, or a, a large uh, services company, like a big gaming company or a big, uh, you know, service provider, like, uh, anyway, anyone that relies on the, on the, uh, on the internet for their business to function. And what it allows you to do is understand, you know, the, how your network is functioning in the context of the broader internet, uh, be able to answer questions about your network, like, you know, is my traffic going over high cost uh, transit links versus, uh, you know, uh, cheaper uh, does capacity planning, uh, etc. It was really built as a data dreamers paradise. And more, more recently, we've been focused on, you know, how all of those points of view intersect with cloud, how do they intersect with applications. And one of the things that D Docker and by extension Kubernetes and the rest really brought about is the fact that, you know, there's these cloud services, you can easily package your application to run on any host. Um, that host can be here, it can be there, it can be across the world, it doesn't really matter. But the thing that ties it all together is the network. And so understanding how that network is functioning, the performance of that network, etc., is a fundamental um, you know, observability, uh, uh, primitive that's needed. And it's, you know, not really pervasively available across all of the observability vendors. And so that point of view is what I've been working on, uh, at, at Kentic for the last couple of years. And so with, uh, just, you know, get, uh, seeking a little, I don't want to say clarification, but just making sure that uh, that we're that we're on the same page is so with Kentec, it is almost exclusively about the observability. And there's uh, is there I guess maybe the question that I just probably should ask is uh, is any part of Kentec actually the construction of those networks, or is it purely just visibility? Yeah. Well, yes and no, right? Like okay. what the what the software allows you to do is understand what's going on and uh, get performance and, and things like that through synthetics tests, etc. But how that feeds into the creation of networks, etc., is is the the, the next uh, you know step, right? So if you can see that this particular port on this particular switch has link congestion, uh, you know because it's growing in this data center, etc. Uh, then, you know, you can kick off work orders to go and provision another switch or, you know, to decide how you're going to, you know, increase capacity for that region. And so, you know, integrating with ticket systems and, you know, making it part of that insight, part of a workflow for, you know, new build outs or for optimization or, you know, for troubleshooting is a is a big part of the, the core value of the technology. 
And speaking of the technology, is your solution 100% software? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's 100% software. Um, in, in traditional routers and switches, you can emit uh, telemetry from them, typically in the form of what's called a flow. Uh, you know, on Cisco devices, uh, there's NetFlow. On other devices, there's SFlow. Uh, on some devices, there's IPFix. And so, you know, what what uh, Kentic does at its core is takes that telemetry in, uh, enriches it with, you know, some secret sauce of, you know, it's not just an IP address, but it's an IP address in this region uh, that belongs to this network, uh, that belongs to this CDN, etc., so it really expands, you know, the, 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 the details of that flow record um, into, you know, quite wide, rich set of data and then stores it in a, in a fast way. And so it's like a tr any other traditional observability system out there, um, but it's purpose built for, for network telemetry today. And is it agnostic to, like, I know we've talked about Kubernetes a number of times today, but is it agnostic to the underlying orchestration software that someone is running? Absolutely. So what, what's cool is you kind of have to make it uh, aware if you want to get unique insights. And so one of the things that we did very recently at, at KubeCon uh, is we, we launched an eBPF agent uh, that is Kubernetes aware. And so it's an agent that sits on the host. Um, and as traffic is is passing through the Linux kernel, it looks at it uh, and says, oh, I see this IP address 172.whatever and asks Kubernetes like, hey, is this part of a Kubernetes workload? Uh, is this part of, you know, uh, a pod, uh, you know, that's that's out there running? And if so, then it annotates that IP address with the pod name. Um, or in the cloud, it would annotate it with your VPC region or your VPC ID, et cetera. And so it starts to tag all of this uh, network data that is flowing through either your router switch or in this case, a host um, with as much context as possible. So then you can start to draw, you know, maps of, you know, here's my entire infrastructure deployment. Um, here's uh, all of the applications that are running that are talking to each other, and you can start to get an understanding of performance of that, of you know latency between that, etc. Interesting. Um, that makes a lot of sense. And so, um, sorry. Now, now my now my my gears are spinning in terms of <laughs> uh, you know integrating with, with Cycle because one of the things that we added uh, to the platform, and so I don't mean to take away from from Kentech, uh but one of the things that we added the cycle recently was a, a, a driver structure where we can have vendors that upload drivers. And then when someone's server starts and it boots up using cycle OS, you can actually flag it and say, Hey, this, um, you know, the server needs this driver and a driver is just another container, right? But it runs yep. at the host. So that Perfect. way um, we could have, uh, we we're, that's how we added support for like GPUs and things like that. Like, cause like we, we, we pre-compile all the GPU uh, kernel modules and then we inject them via container at, at boot time. Um, yeah. So it's interesting because that would allow something like that to work as well. Um, it definitely and, would. Yeah. It, it, uh, and if you wanted to, you know, understand, you know, I've, I've adopted this third party service uh, that, you know, is providing a database or something. And, you know, I'm noticing that uh, at a, Every 2 a.m., you know, when users come into my site at 2 a.m., they're getting worse performance for whatever reason. You can answer the question, you know, is it me? Is it, 
my technology? Is it something about our network or is it them, right? Like the network was really going to be able to answer that question for you, um, you know, by by being able to set baselines and looking at the, the metrics overall, et cetera. And so having that point of view, I think would be really valuable. We actually might need to have a deeper conversation after this podcast because as we're getting in front of, like, uh, as we're getting in front of bigger companies, um, you know, I, I think like again for I don't want to say up up until about the last six months we were almost focused exclusively on startups. We've had a lot of success with much larger companies after uh, within the last six months, um, and that's where like again, I mean. I'm guessing the solution, or I'm guessing Kentic isn't focused on selling to, you know, 15, 20 person startups. It's focused on selling to companies that are moving lots and lots of data. Correct me if I'm yeah. wrong. Yeah. Um, Typically companies that run their own network. And so, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that's where, as recently as we started having much larger companies come to us that are saying, hey, I have. X number of terabytes of data that, you know, moving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Suddenly these are problems that, um, now it's like, ooh, how can how can we give better visibility to these companies? That these were questions that our, our earlier customers weren't asking. It wasn't meaningful to them, but now it's becoming actually pretty important. So um, it's, it's it's interesting to to learn more about uh, about what you're working on and 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 um, in terms of in terms of in terms of Kentic uh, with with the solution that you've built, um, is there a, a certain type of niche customer that you found that re- really resonates with? I mean, I know it's I know like the observability tool can be beneficial to a lot of people, but is there a niche that you're like you just had a lot of interest from you know a specific industry? Yeah, it, well, it, what's cool is like that's our 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 you know typical buyer is definitely changing um which is which is really interesting and 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 bodes well for the company so traditionally it was like again isps and you know backbone providers um the people that make the internet go right that that need to 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 be able to understand you know they they sell they they sell you know traffic to big data centers um and uh you know, that's now changed to more traditional enterprise. And their question is, you know, I have this large network, I'm adopting cloud, probably hybrid cloud in some way, you know, like I have some on-prem stuff and I have some cloud stuff. And it's exactly that question. Well, you know, have I configured everything properly? Uh, you know, are my direct connects between us and the cloud working uh, correctly? Uh, you know, is the customer experience as a result of all of this suffering, et cetera? And so, yeah, the, the the traditional you know Fortune 500 enterprise is is more and more you know starting to adopt these types of services um, beyond just general observability. It's really you know is my business functioning um, holistically that 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 Kentic can help them answer. So with so. So we, you know, with, with so the so the transition to Fortune five or not? I don't want maybe maybe I don't want to say transition, but with with more Fortune five hundred companies adopting it, um, is it is, is are the questions that those companies are asking different? Like like it, like if you had so you said before it was like ISPs, you know, uh, companies that were providing backbones, etc. Um, but as you're getting into Fortune 500, I mean, I know you just talked about my business running holistically, but is there more of like an emphasis on trying to figure out like 
I, I guess this is just a generalized question of if yeah. if maybe these backbones are talking about throughput and bandwidth and things like that and, and maybe general performance, are these businesses more caring about like, I guess, is there a security component to Kentic yes. uh, in terms of like network, uh, I guess, network security? And is that something that these Fortune 500 companies are really starting to look more into? Yeah, definitely. And what's interesting is Kentic today is not a security product, right? People don't use it for that. But the when we were at KubeCon talking about this new Kubernetes offering, the thing that resonated most was, you know, there, there was there was one, one now customer who, who said, you know, hey, we, we didn't know that all of this telemetry collecting stuff from these other observability players was running on our production cluster. Like somehow, you know, there's this traffic that we didn't know about at all. And so, you know, with that, there was a clear security use case um, that and policy use case that, you know, they had misconfigured in their deployment somehow. And the other was, you know, traffic going to embargoed countries. It's like, well, you know, these embargoed countries aren't supposed to be able to be accessing and our, our infrastructure is not supposed to be, you know, talking to, uh, but it is. And so there was a, you know, a compliance issue. And so, yeah, those, those are clear use cases that are resonating and, and triggering uh, customers to buy, um, for sure. Excellent. Um, so, I. Uh... As as we begin to wrap up the podcast, uh, one you know really uh, want to thank you for for taking the time to to be on the the podcast. Um, uh, two, it's been really interesting to learn all the different experiences that you've you've had you know with with a lot of the companies that people who are going to be listening and watching this podcast, uh, you know, hearing kind of I don't want to say you know the inside scoop, but hearing you know from the inside how things how some of these things were being built out and thought about in the early days. Um, uh, but yeah, as, as as we as we wrap up, is there is there any other thing that is on your mind that uh you know you, you uh that you'd love to to dive into? Oh uh, no, I mean I, I think twenty twenty three is going to be a really interesting year. We kind of touched on it a little bit in terms of you know where the market's heading, maybe a little tightening of 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 the belt buckles a little bit, and the need for you know. Uh, getting getting stuff done today without a heavy lift, uh, you know, a heavy cost and lift. And so, you know, I'm I'm excited for what you all are working on. And uh, yeah, appreciate you ha- having me on. Excellent, thanks, Nick. Um, for everyone who uh, is is listening or, or watching this podcast, uh, you can watch it on YouTube. Uh, or if you uh, if you prefer listening to podcasts, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify. Google Podcasts, and finally, um, all of the the different podcasts um, are also listed on cycle.io slash podcasts. Uh, Nick, for anyone who's listening or watching this, if they want to learn more about you, what you're building, uh, you know, what companies you're involved in, et cetera, uh, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, just uh, at, night, uh, at Nick Steinmates on uh, Twitter. Um, you know, we'll take you to everywhere else. So yeah, go there. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Nick. It was great to have you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.